Well, uh, that, you guys tried to get me on that one. I'm not going to cry, okay? I am not going, I almost did 17 times in that moment right there. Thank you. Yeah, have the tissues ready just in case. Uh, thank you for all the birthday wishes and to our beautiful church family. Love you a ton. Let me get a moment to put, pull myself together here, okay? <sighs> okay, there we go. There we go. Um, I don't even know whose kids those were. Uh, they were those kids were dressed nice, very very polite, incredibly articulate. I don't know what actors those were, uh, but they behaved well for those three minutes and forty four seconds, and I I appreciate that. Now, I love uh, Parker, Grayson, and L so much, and I love you so much, church family. It has been beautiful to see uh, how much love uh, I've received uh, for this my twenty seventh birthday. Uh, twenty seven years old. Onique and I've been married for twenty three years, but now. We've been married for 27 years, and uh, so you, you do the math on that one. Uh, but honestly, the, the amount of love and kindness that has come my way has been absolutely overwhelming. And I just need you to know, uh, you, you've been able this past week to be a, like a glimpse of heaven uh, to my soul, to my heart, uh, from not only my family, but to the staff team and to all of our church community. Thank you so, so much for how you've continued uh, just to be so incredibly encouraging. So I love you a ton. I'm thankful for you. But this is not about me today. This is all about Jesus. And it is also about you. And I'm glad that you are here. So if you have not received a hug today, hug yourself. And if you have received a hug, you might as well go hug yourself too. Just go ahead and hug yourself and say, man, God loves me. I love me. I'm excited about today. And I think God has something beautiful and wonderful in store for all of us. If you're with us for the first time, I want you to feel like you're with family. I don't want you to feel like you're just kind of watching something. No, my friends, you are in something. You are a part of a community of people that are far from perfect, but we serve a perfect Savior uh, that extended his arms of grace and love and hope towards every one of us, and he is drawing us closer to him today. So what is it you may be battling? What is it you might be fighting? What uh, lies might be uh, running through your head? I want you to know the God of heaven is interested in connecting with you to your very soul, to the core. Or of your being. So you and I leave whatever space we are in and we leave encouraged and, and looking more like Jesus and smelling more like Jesus so that we can make it on earth as it is in heaven. If you're just joining in uh, with us right now, I want to remind you, we don't want anyone doing church alone at Shoreline City, okay? We don't want anyone doing church alone alone. No one. I mean, no one. I don't care if you know a ton of the Bible or if you're brand new to this whole thing of faith. No one is doing church alone. As a matter of fact, I got a camera over here. Boom. Hook me up. Let me talk to y'all. I don't want anyone doing church alone. I want all of us to be in community. I want all of us connecting with each other. So if right now you're at a spot, maybe you're uh, immune compromised and you can't be uh, in an environment with other people, I just want you to know we still love you. We're so for you. And uh, God uh, understands. We understand. But at least go ahead and jump in the chat. At least take that step. We would love to be able to communicate with you while service is going. So you just got to get, a, I think, a Google account. That's all you need. And um, just log on and talk and say, like, amen, or that guy's bald, or whatever you want to say. But just say something so that we know you're there because we don't want you doing church alone. But others of you, you for a long time now, you have not been, um, can they see me on this camera here? 
Perfect. Okay. Uh, for a long time now, uh, maybe you have just kind of been watching and uh, participating in church all by yourself. And we're saying we don't want you doing that. We want you to go ahead and invite some other people over to your house. If you're comfortable, uh, maybe the, the crew that you've been hanging out with, invite them over to your house or you go over to their house. Make this a party. Make this a time of celebration. Go, make it awkward where you're trying to sing songs and you're like, worthy of, worthy, he, worthy of it. You're just, you're trying to figure out the note, but you just jump on in and you sing, we don't want anyone doing church alone. And now we got a bunch of folks in our neighborhood gatherings. And I do want to say a big thank you to all of you that have uh, been willing to go through the training and have opened up your home or your gym or whatever you, wherever you're meeting, and you're saying, yes, I got a bunch of people gathering together. We are looking for more folks to transition from a home gathering to a neighborhood gathering. So go ahead, let us know. Text, uh, nine, text New Wave to 97,000 so we can go ahead and have like 500, 5,000 of these all over the world. Today, though, today. We're going to jump into the Bible. If you have your Bible, go with me to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. I'm excited about this passage of Scripture. I went to, uh, this is a, a little while ago now, uh, sometime last year, I was asked um, by the city council uh, to come down and do a prayer uh, before the city council meeting. And I was honored to do it. Um, Eric Sewing, one of our pastors on staff, went down uh, with me. And I guess somebody who works in the office of the, uh, of the mayor somehow knew about our church, so invited me down. And so you're sitting there, and they ask you, you know, they say your name, and um, you, again, all the council members are there. Then there's a bunch of people from the community, and they ask you to stand up at the, at the podium, and you say a prayer. So, you know, you've got like one minute uh, to pray. So I, I step up, and I, you know, start speaking in tongues. Just kidding. I didn't do that. That'd be so awkward. It's like, what in the world is going on here? I just did a really nice prayer, talking to Jesus, letting everybody know that I want God to bless and God to take care of the mayor and God to take care of the city council and God to take care of the community of Dallas. So I'm just, you know, praying my prayer. Uh, but we ended up in a spot, uh, Eric and I, uh, when we sat down after our prayer that we didn't realize uh, we were like in the camera shot and all these other people were coming up to now kind of give their thoughts on how the mayor was doing. Uh, I got to tell you, I don't, I don't know where all these people were coming from, but there were dudes in like the flyest suits. I'm talking like yellow and purple suits walking down there with Kango hats. If you don't know what a Kango is, you don't know LL Cool J. And if you don't know LL Cool J, your life is not complete. So he, dudes coming in. I mean, it looks like they had canes. They're coming down and they're standing there. That's not everybody. Some folks came down and like just... They just roll out of bed. I mean, these folks just roll right out of bed, and they're like, hey, I'm going to let the mayor know what I think. Now, I appreciate it that everyone could come and say something, but Eric and I are sitting there, and we're looking at these folks, and they're saying stuff, and we're in the camera shot, and I'm trying not to laugh, and Eric's trying not to laugh. So you know when you're not supposed to laugh, and you still start laughing even more, but, but that was funny, all the characters that were there that were, you know, makes up our beautiful city of Dallas. But what was interesting is there was not a person, there was not one person that stood up to that podium and said anything nice. I mean, 
Not one. Not one person said anything life-giving. I mean, this was their moment to let the mayor know and all the city council people know, you're idiots. I don't like how you're doing things. You better stop this. You better change this. Now, this is part of the democracy that we have in America. I'm glad that we have this right and this privilege. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm just letting you know the contents of what every single person that was walking up there, they were looking at the mayor eyeball to eyeball and just accusing the mayor over and over and over and over. And I don't know, I didn't know the mayor all that well. I don't know what was true. I don't know what wasn't true. But what I do know is he had to sit there for whatever two minutes that that person had and they had to take it. He had to take it. I was wondering, what, it's, what is it like for him? What's it like for him to go home after that? I mean, you're sitting there, just person after person after person, just accusing you. Person after person telling you you're doing terrible. Person after person telling you, Almost like they're saying you're not worth much. I, I don't know what he'd have to process through in our brains, but, but some of us are living lives like that. We're living lives where we're feeling like there's a lot of accusations coming, and we're about to look at a passage of Scripture that almost has a little bit of a courtroom feel to it. That's why the title of today's message is Order in the Court. Order in the Court. Zechariah chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this, a man, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Uh, let me give you a little bit of context for this, okay, real, real quick. Uh, the Old Testament here, the whole Bible is break, broken up into 66 different books. And this is one of the books, the book of Zechariah. He's a minor prophet. He actually has a contemporary uh, that we find out later by the name of Haggai. He's actually another minor prophet. There's a book in the Bible with his name. They, these two individuals are prophesying around the same time. Uh, Zechariah is prophesying during a time when the 70 years that uh, follow this year that Jeremiah the prophet told about that Israel was going to go into captivity, was going to go into Babylon. He is now prophesying at the, about at the end of that time. The 70 years are almost up. The Jewish people have been in exile for all this time. Their hearts are obviously grown heavy. Uh, there are lots of uh, issues and problems. And this uh, Joshua the high priest, he is in this particular vision. He is, this vision is kind of like talking about the revival of the children of Israel. Like the Jewish nation, you're, you're about to come come out of this place of bondage. You're about to come out of this captivity that was prophesied. So he, Joshua, this high priest,
high priest, you see him with all of this, these filthy garments on, and he is representing in this vision the people. The people and their sin. The people and how they've been disconnected from God. The people in their distress and in their poverty, if you will. He is representing them. And you see him being accused. But you also see God stepping in saying, hey, I rebuke you, Satan. I'm standing in front of you and these people. And then you see forgiveness happening. You see a transformation happening. You see their filth being taken away. And you see like righteousness and purity being put on them. Again, all of this symbolizing where you have been for all these years, you will not be forever. I'm bringing you out of bondage into a new place. So that's what it means for them. But as I'm reading this, I'm trying to figure out what does this mean for us? What does it mean for us in this jacked up 2020? (laughs) What does it mean for us Those of us who are looking forward to getting married, as we have in uh, Chelsea and Travis that are getting married, I think it's next weekend. What does it look like for individuals that are hoping to get a business off the ground? What does it look like for those of us who right now have lost a loved one and we're trying to wrestle with, uh, can we uh, have the type of funeral for them that we want to even have for them? What does it look like for those of us who are trying to figure out, are our kids going to go back to school or not going to go back to school? What does it look like for those of us who are in college right now but are on lockdown because somebody uh, ended up with COVID, so now they shut down this whole part of the dorm and no one can go anywhere. What does it look like in the midst of a contentious election in America? What does it look like in a time when racial uh, injustices are on the forefront? What does it look like in a time? What does all of this mean to us when we're walking through what we're walking through today? Because if the Bible is just just words for people back then— and not, doesn't have any bearing on our lives today, then, then why would we read it? But you need to understand that this is the living word of God. This word is alive and active and is interested in getting into your heart and my heart. And God wants to say some things to us today from this passage of Scripture. Go with me to verse number one again. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Joshua in here for us today represents the believer, the follower of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see that he's standing there as a high priest. This means, this means that for every believer, and I'm about to say something that's going to shock a whole bunch of you, you and I no matter what occupation we may have, right now are a priest. And this is a game changer for how you and I interact with God and with the world. Because many of us are thinking that the only spiritual people are the ones that wear collars or are preachers or are pastors or maybe sometimes the, maybe the neighborhood hosts or the spiritual leaders that we have in our lives. But what happened at the cross of Jesus Christ and what happened when the Holy Spirit was poured out on everyone is what happened in my life and in your life is you and I now have come from being on the peripheral till we enter into being the very uh, priests, the very ones that 
God is wanting to use to bring about his divine plan and his divine purpose in the earth. And too many of us right now are thinking that it's for really holy people. That's who, that's who does all the spiritual things. This is for people who really know the Bible. This is for people who've never slept around. This is for people who've never been drunk. This is for people who went to Bible college. This is for people who went to Dallas Theological Seminary. This is for those really, really spiritual folks. And I'm trying to break that mindset. I need all of us to know right now that once you became a follower of Jesus, you became a priest. That does not mean you can't be married. And that doesn't mean... Uh, now you have to live like some really pious, holy person. What it means is now you are representing God to the world. And I dare to say you're representing the world to God. You have entered into a very particular position where you are no longer just an average everyday person. You are part of what the Bible calls a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God has set you apart to be a priest in this generation. Let me do this. Let me, let me show you this. Let me show you these verses. Second, second, second Peter. This is some Bible stuff here for us. Okay, Second Peter chapter two, verse number five. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a what's it say? Holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse number nine, but you are, you are, you are, you are not just for the preachers, you are not just for men, you are women, you are men, not just for the older people, also for the younger people, not just for the younger people, but for the older people. You are a, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a priest. I need you to see yourself that way. Because in this passage of scripture, Joshua is the high priest. The Bible says he's, he's ministering before the Lord. So what that means is that you as a priest... You're a minister before the Lord all the time. Listen, not just on Sunday. Let me talk to you a little bit closer. Not just on Sunday. You are not just some priest on Sunday. This is not you and I waiting for somebody to sing a nice spiritual song and then you and I kind of enter into our priesthood. No, my friends, this is now a position that you have been given by your, your sacrifice, your surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. You have a new identity that's been put on you. And part of that is you are a priest and you have been called to be a minister. That is why in our creed, we say you are empowered by the spirit to be the church in the world. If you are a nurse, you're a minister. If you are a stay-at-home mom, you're a minister. If you're a stay-at-home father, you're a minister. If you are trying to teach your kids on Zoom, you're a minister. If you're a professor, you're a minister. If you're an athlete, you're a minister. If you're an accountant, you're a minister. If you are, what you name it, you fill in the blank. What is it that you do? What is it, your, what's your job right now? What is your occupation? In that, you now are a minister. You now are someone that people can look to and 
know what God is like and how God speaks. And I know that might feel like a whole bunch of pressure, but my friends, this is not based on your, your behavior. This is not based on your perfection. This is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, that because you and I surrendered our lives to him, you now are a minister. If people want to know what God is like, they want to be able to look at your life. How, how loving is God? They should be able to look at your life. How kind is God? They should be able to look at your life. How full of truth is God? They should be able to look at your life. They should be able to look at my life. What I'm telling you is you and I are now God's ministers. We are his representatives. If you are on a basketball court, if you are on a tennis court, if you are a manager, if you are a real estate agent, if you are a creative, wherever you may find yourself, you are a minister. You are a minister. You don't have to tell people to call you reverend. <laughs> I like to you know, I meet people all the time. And if somebody hands you your card and they got like most right reverend, and I mean, if they're really, really old school, I get it. But if it's new school, and I, I, met, I met one guy the first time I met him, I love him now. I'm not going to say his name, but I mean, he was like 20 years old, walked up to me. I won't say his name. He'll be so embarrassed that I'm sharing this story. And he just walked up and he shook my hand. He's like, yeah, 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 I'm so-and-so. And you know, I preached here and I preached there and I went here. I mean, right off the bat, he's telling me all the places he's gone to preach as if I'm like impressed by that. I'm not impressed about where you're going to preach. I'm impressed by how do you live your life when nobody's watching? I'm impressed by who are you when there's no spotlight on you? Who are you on a Tuesday morning in the office when some people are trying to cut corners, are you cutting corners or still living with excellence? Because I'm telling you, which, who you are when nobody's watching, that's who you actually, that's who you really are. So for you and I, we need to understand that we are constantly representatives of the God of heaven. We are ministers of Jesus Christ. Okay. Now he's a minister. You're a minister. He's standing before the Lord, before the angel of the Lord, and Satan's right there accusing him, accusing him. Remember the, uh, the mayor I was talking about earlier, just sitting there. You're not enough. Has anyone felt that? Has anyone lost their job and now you feel you're not enough? Has anyone had maybe more marital conflict during this time because you have not had to spend this much time with your spouse in years? And maybe you've heard you're not enough. Maybe you felt you're not enough. Has anyone had any friendships? And your friendships, they seem to be speaking to you, you're not enough. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're not even hearing you're not enough. Maybe some of us in this day and age are hearing you're too much. You've been given too much. You've been too blessed. You, you, you've, been, you've been given a leg up. And since you've been given a leg up, let me accuse you. You need to feel guilty for the blessings that are in your life. You need to feel guilty that you have had this much provision in your life. I was sitting the other day, I went uh, to our backyard uh, to, to pray, You're trying to, you know, hide out from the kids, you know, for a second. And um, I, I literally felt like God asked me this in my heart. I, it wasn't audible, it just asked me in my heart, Earl, are you guilty 
about anything. And I, I hadn't really been thinking about if I was guilty. I, I didn't feel it. But then, then I started sitting going, man, wait. I think I kind of do feel a little bit guilty. I think I feel a little bit guilty that my marriage is making it through this time. I think I feel a little bit guilty that I haven't had to miss a meal. And I know there are people in this world that have. I think I've been feeling a little bit guilty that I haven't gotten sick, that my body's been strong this entire time. The whole seven months of COVID, I've been good. Now, I'm not saying everything's been perfect. Trust me, I've been stretched in plenty of ways. <laughs> Trust me, I've wanted to go to Turks and Caicos about 138 times, okay? I've been ready to sign off over and over and over again. I'm not saying everything's been perfect. I'm just saying when I look at my life, uh, there's been plenty of times I'm like, wait, I, I feel blessed. I feel so taken care of during this time. I feel so provided for. I feel guilty that I'm not in the same position that I know a lot of people are in. I have friends who have had to let go of their staffs at their church. Friends that have had to uh, reduce even the pay of their staff. Friends that are not sure if their church is going to make it through this time. And here I am, and our church is growing, and our church is giving, and our church is leaned in, and our church in the midst of all the craziness going on is unified. And I know it's not perfect, but man, people are coming together and trying to fight for that unity. I have been shocked to see the goodness and the provision of God during this time. And y'all, I'm just telling you, I felt a little bit like I don't want to tell anybody. So it's not just you get accused when you're not enough. Sometimes you can feel accused if you're too much, that your family is too blessed, that your life is too blessed, that God's been too good, that you actually got a promotion. I hear about people that are getting promotions even during this time of COVID. And you're like, man, I don't know if I want to tell anybody that I actually got a promotion because it can seem like God likes you and doesn't like them. And that's not the issue at all. God loves all of us. But those of us who have been blessed now have the opportunity to get those blessings, not just to us, but through us, so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to those of those, to other individuals that might be struggling right now. I'm just saying, you can feel accused. You can feel accused. You can feel like the enemy is just coming at you. You're too far behind. You're too far ahead. You're too much. You're not enough. You're accused, 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 accused. And I'm just telling you, you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to defend the blessings that God has given you. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to say, hey, I'm sorry. No, you don't have to defend yourself because in verse number two, Joshua does not speak up. Who speaks up is the Lord. And the Lord speaks speaks up and he says to Satan, I rebuke you, Satan. Shut your mouth. This is my son. This is my daughter. This is my child. You don't have to fight for yourself because the Lord is fighting for you. So I'm just telling you, I, 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 I'm not going to be like, my, if, I, if I gave my kids 
some blessing. I, I, if I gave my kids uh, a, a new bike, you know, Elle wants a new bike. She wants a new bike. She, she, our, our neighbors actually gave her a bike because she was going around on a little scooter. And a little girl came by. This is a cool story. We're, we're in the front yard. And a neighbor comes by. I'd never met this neighbor before. And uh, his little daughter, she's about seven, eight years old. And our, our, her name is Susie. And she says, hey, um, would Elle like my bike? Because I got, a, I got another bike. And and she can have my bike. And I'm like, oh, well, that's nice. And Elle's right there. She's, you know, doing her, you know, shy thing. I'm like, no, stand with confidence, girl. You stand with confidence. Head up. Head up. We're not shy. Come on, turn. You know, apparently you try to turn their head. And it's like, mm-hmm. and she's looking like, yeah, thank you. And she says, uh, thank you. And she got this bike. And she got the little training wheels on. It's got the little, it's all like unicorny and pink and stuff. So she, so she loves it. And we go on our little bike rides uh, together, you know, around the block. And it takes a long time to get around the block, but that's okay. But this bike was given to her. I don't see Elle riding this bike going, hmm. this bike was given to me. I feel bad that this bike was given to me. No, man, she has her head up. She's smiling big. She's she's just receiving and owning the blessing that came into her life. Man, if you got breath in your lungs right now, man, I know there's a lot of people that have died, not just in America, but around the world. And I don't know why God is giving all of us another day to breathe, but I don't want us to walk with our heads held down. Yes, we can be sad, and yes, we can show empathy, and yes, we can mourn with those who mourn. We got to do that. That's part of being a Christ follower. But my friends, if you got another day to live, please don't wake up sad about that. Wake up saying, man, God, thank you for this bike that you've given me. I want to ride it for your glory, God. I just want to let people know that it was you that gave gave me this breath in my lungs. I could be gone just like anybody. Anything, cancer could take me out. There's so many things that could come against me, but God, you have protected me. You've been standing in front of the enemy for years in my life. I say, God, thank you a thousand times over. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The, shut your mouth, Satan. I know you're trying to accuse. I wish somebody with the mayor maybe would have just have stood up and said, hey, that's enough. No more. But no one did that. The mayor was just taking it, was just taking it. And too many of us are just taking it, thinking it's our lot in life. This is the way we need to be. We need to be sad. We need to be downcast. And we need to be beaten down. And we're worthless. And we're nothing. And we're just ugly sinners. And God doesn't care about us. Listen, Josh was there in filthy rags. He had not yet been changed, but still God stood up for him even when he was dirty. He said, I know you're dirty, but you're still mine. I've chosen you. I rebuke you, Satan, but I choose you, Joshua. I choose you, Jerusalem. And I'm telling you, if you are dirty right now, God still chose you. If you slept around last night, God still chose you. If you don't know much of the Bible, God still chose you. If you're unsure of your future, God still chose you. If you don't have money in your bank account, right now. God still chose you. Black, white, Latino, Asian, I don't care where you're from, English, Spanish, God still chose you. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Every bit of accusation, every bit of guilt, every bit of shame that the enemy is trying to put on the children of God, you need to know that you have a Savior that with arms stretched out said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. I'm taking all of that accusation upon me. I'm taking all that shame upon me. I'm taking all that condemnation upon me. And now that man, that woman is free. Man, 
I got so many verses and not enough time. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Shut your mouth. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Who has chosen, rebu- who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. He's not this man, this man of burning stick, snatched from the fire. Now, Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes. Man, he was dressed in filthy clothes. He's a high priest, y'all. He's a high priest. And back in the day, the high priest would not be wearing filthy clothes. It would make the high priest unclean. So this vision, this dream that Zechariah is having is like, wait, what's going on here? That doesn't fit. That doesn't fit. So, so again, in verse number three, now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. Verse four, the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. I just want, I want to acknowledge that, that when someone is filthy and dirty, God does not ignore their sin. He deals with it. Now, the problem in our day and age is people don't want to think they have any sin. Today's day and age, we're like, hey, God, you're welcome. I'm willing to follow you. I am your gift to the world. And we think that we can come to God on our own terms, do things how we want to do things. I'm just letting you know, God's the father, we're the kids. You ever see, um, I mean... I know in my house, my mom even looks at my kids like this sometimes. But I know my mom looked at me, looked at me like this when I was growing up, where, where I was in the house and I acted like it was my house and she wasn't the one paying the bills. And she was like, give me a close up. Let me come over here. Let me come over here. She's looking. She's looking like, boy, I'll slap you from me. She did it. Well, one time you did, Mom. Remember that one time, Mom, you just slapped me right upside my head? You remember that one time? Yep. <laughs> I've forgiven you. Mom, no accusations are coming against you. You're forgiven. No, uh, you, you, have, you have that parent that looks at you like, you don't own this house. This is my house. Can I just say the God of heaven is looking down on all of humanity like, this ain't your house. We can, we can give name days after people. We surely can. But I'm just letting you know, those days that we've named after people, we got President's Day and Mother's Day and Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We got all these days. I think all of that's wonderful. But every single human being lives and dies. And God is still here and still on the throne. And he has never lost one ounce of his power. And he never will lose one ounce of his power. He is the one that is in control. And you and I are coming underneath his authority. And when God says you and I need to be made right by the finished work of Jesus Christ, that means you and I need to be made right by the finished work of Jesus Christ. We don't get to make up the rules because God already established them. Filthy. Sin. But I'm not going to leave you like that. I'm not going to leave you in your sin. I'm not going to leave you sitting there being accused over and over. I'm not going to leave you like that. No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, verse number four, verse number four. See, what he says is uh, the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. 
Yeah, yeah, there's some dirt. Yeah, there's some filth. Yeah, there's some mess. Take off the filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. Some, somebody needs to hear that. Somebody needs to hear that God will take away and has taken away your sin and is putting fine garments on you. You are brand new in Jesus Christ. You are not wearing the old tattered clothes. You have been dressed in the robe of righteousness that comes from a, the finished work of Jesus Christ. And this is not something you and I get by works. It's you and I, some, you and I got by faith. Let me keep on going here. Oh, my goodness. So listen, the angels, angels are talking. Joshua's dirty. He's like, I can't, I can't stand here before God. The devil's accusing him. He's like, I'm dirty, I'm dirty, I'm dirty. The, the devil's accusing him. The Lord stands up for him. Then all of a sudden, his, his clothes are being changed. And Zechariah is the one seeing this whole vision. And Zechariah then speaks up. Then I said, verse number five, well, if you're giving them new clothes, go ahead and put a clean turban on them too. Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him. So I, I, want, I want you to see that like God is doing all of this stuff. Zechariah is watching the stuff that is being done. Then Zechariah decides to jump in with what God is doing. When, when Zechariah sees that God is cleansing, when Zechariah sees that God is purifying, when Zechariah sees that God is putting this man in some new clothes, he does not take the side of Satan. He takes the side of the Savior. And you and I always get the opportunity to take somebody's side when it comes to looking at other believers. We're either going to strip them of the robe of righteousness that, that Christ has put on them, or we're going to try to dress them, redress them in their filthy rags. And what type of follower of you? I love that Zechariah's like, I see God doing something good right here. I see God changing things. I see God making things new. I see God dealing with the filth. I see God purifying. I see God rearranging. And if God is doing that, God, I'm jumping in with it. I'm not adding fuel to the fire. What I'm doing is I'm adding life to the transformation. I want you, God, to go ahead and put a new, put a new hat on them too. Give him a new turban. I love that he's just seeing all of this. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm running through. I'm running through. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Then the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ben, you can come on up here so I can make sure I shut my mouth. This is what the, this is what the Lord Almighty says. If you walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have, a char and have charge of my courts and I will give you a place among these standing here. He's like, I, I changed your clothes. Now that I changed your clothes, I need this to impact your life. Here's a little tweetable statement because you got to have at least one in every sermon. What you're wearing is supposed to influence how you walk. What you're wearing is supposed to influence how you walk. Since God has put new clothes on you, the dirty clothes have been taken off. The past has been forgiven. The stuff 
that no one knows that you did. I'm talking relationships. I'm talking emotional, sexual, financial. I'm talking, you name it, the things that no one else knows about. When you give your heart and your life to Christ and you are made new and those filthy clothes are taken off of you, the shame and the accusations that this world is trying to put put on you is taken off of you and you are now dressed in fine garments. Now you have to walk in alignment with what you're wearing. See, um, if somebody ran up here, was in here in their underwear, one, we'd have them arrested, probably. But they would be covered up. What's so funny in, you know, sporting events when somebody runs down to the field and they, they just got their, you know, their undies on and they're running through the field and they're like, ah, and there's, no, there's no shame at all. We're like, man, that's crazy. Nobody does that. Because we always hide. When we're not dressed appropriately, we hide. But someone puts you in a new suit, some new clothes. They put you in a new outfit, and you're like, okay. All of a sudden, your shoulders begin to go back. We saw this with pretty women way back in the day. We, you, you, you're, you're dressed differently, so you walk differently. And I just need you to understand that God has dressed you in fine robes of righteousness. He has given you a brand new start. He has given you a fresh beginning. He has taken away the accusation and he's taken away the guilt and he's taken away the shame and he's taken away the condemnation. And since he's taken away all of that, can you and I please pray and can you and I please minister and can you and I please walk like uh, in alignment with the new clothes that he's given us. I was wondering about the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, you could read it later. It's a parable of this son, and many of us have heard it, who asks his dad for his inheritance, and he goes and he spends all the inheritance. He just wastes it uh, on all types of crazy living. And he's on his way home, and the father sees him from a long way off. And it's like only one of like three times in the Bible where you see a Jewish man running because that was something Jewish men did not do. But here's a picture of God, the father, running after his son that is coming home, and he runs after his son and the son has all these excuses and the the dad's like shut up I love you and he gives him a huge hug and he's kissing him and then he's like hey I need you to come and put some new sandals on his feet I need you to put a new ring on his finger and I need you to put a new robe on him we're about to throw a party and the Bible says and I think this is really important for some of you vegans out there the Bible says kill the fatted calf says there was no kale it was like, give me some meat up in here. We're about to throw a party. No, just kidding. If you're a vegetarian, God bless you uh, too. Uh, I've done that before. And I was actually gaining a bunch of weight. But anyway, with, with this moment, he's got a new robe on him. He's got new sandals on his feet, a ring on his finger. And the party is happening. The party is happening. And I was wondering, did the prodigal son enjoy the party? Did he enjoy it? I'm reading into the scripture here. The Bible does not say anything about this, but I'm just wondering, did he enjoy the party? Did he enjoy the new life, the new position that his father had given him? Or was he in a corner feeling guilty, walking in shame because of all of his mistakes? But the father gave him the sandals, gave him the ring, and gave him the robe. 
But just because he had those things does not mean he was enjoying the moment of salvation and the moment of a new life. I wonder for your life, are you enjoying the new life we have in Jesus? Or are all the accusations of this world tearing down your soul so much? The accusations from people that look like you and people that don't look like you. People that vote like you and people that don't vote like you. People from your side of the tracks and people from another side of the tracks. People speak your language and people who don't speak your language. Are you so overwhelmed with all the accusations of the world that God is saying, I've given you sandals, I've given you a ring, I've given you a robe, and you're sitting in a corner as if you're not my son, as if you're not my daughter. Would you please get up, ride the bike, enjoy the party because I made you new and I'll handle all the accusations. Stop trying to stand up for yourself. The Lord has your back and he will cover you and watch over you. And wherever vengeance is needed, God says, I'll handle it. He said, I got it. I got it. I got, I got you. I got you. So the grace, the overwhelming, this overwhelming grace of God, this isn't meant to like spoil us. Like now it's like, well, I do whatever I want to do. No, my friends, man, meant to save us than to shift us into a new way of living. I'm not going to go into the rest of the verses uh, here. God, man, verses 8 and 9, because there's some beautiful imagery about Jesus coming. The branch. Oh, man, I wish I had time to preach it. But he does say something in verse number 9 that I thought was so, so powerful. He says, I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. What was going to take, what has taken days, hours, months, years in a single day. It's all pointing to Jesus Christ when he's going to get it on that old rugged cross and he's going to take the sin and the shame of all of humanity and he's going to put it upon himself and he's going to say, God, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. God, they're, they're putting these stripes on my back. They don't even know what they're doing. They think they're killing me. They don't know that I'm dying for them. God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing this day you'll be with me in paradise I know you can't even do anything right you're on a cross just like I am but you thief on the cross this day you'll be with me in paradise and here he is his blood dripping into the earth healing the earth his blood dripping through his hands and, and on to the ground and to the people all around he declares God into your hands I commit my spirit it is finished and in a single day in a single day, every bit of shame and guilt is ripped from your life and mine. Will we live like it? I felt like we were living with a weight vest on us. We're trying to run the race that God has called us to run. And we have a 500-pound weight vest on us. And God's like, why are you carrying that? Why are you wearing that? 
Your worth and value was never in your bank account. Your worth and value was never in your marital status. Your worth and value was never in the likes on Instagram and it was never in those relationships. It was always found in Jesus. Friends, if you wouldn't mind, bow your heads for just a moment. Father, for every man and woman under the sound of my voice, I ask that your love and your grace would surround us, would capture our hearts, it would draw us so incredibly close. I pray that guilt and shame and condemnation would be stripped and we would walk in the newness of life you have for us. If you're under the sound of my voice right now and you've never given your heart and your life to Christ, you never made him first, you've never made him number one. But you're hearing my voice today, you're saying, I don't want to go my own way anymore, I want to go his way. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to ask you to put your hand over your heart right now. Matter of fact, at every home, every neighborhood, gathering, just put your hand over your heart. I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer out loud after me. You can say, dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I admit I made mistakes. And today, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Give me the power to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we clap our hands? Every home gathering, every neighborhood gathering.